Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast. I am Ben McKee. Not just Ben McKee today on the podcast. No longer riding solo because Eric Kane decided to come back from vacation. Eric, do you feel like a better person? Because Lord knows you need to be a better person. Uh, I think we all could be a little bit better, uh, not just myself. But yes, I do feel... I feel much better. It was fun to get away for a couple of days and, uh, you know, come back. I'm the type of guy that can't stay long, stay gone too long. Having said that, I'll be gone this weekend as well. But uh, um, it's uh, it was good to get in the sun and the sand a little bit. Now I'm back. So uh, I leave town and uh, Tennessee loses a baseball series. So I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and take that. That's on me. Um, it just shows how important I am for for, for, for the program. Yeah, that, that's the way to look at it, because they haven't. <laughs> left town all year from the town that you're staying in and continued to win on the road. Well, point is I left the States. I left the, you know, I wasn't even neighboring state point being I go, I'm not completely dialed in and they lose. So, you know, it just shows how important I am to the whole thing. It's what I'm trying to get at here. My point being is that you don't matter at all. No, I got your point. Uh, but I would have much rather have been you this weekend because I had a miserable time in Lexington, Kentucky. A, I went up there on May 5th. I was there May 5th to May 7th, which is three days too long. Yeah. Uh, and, and not only was I there three days too long, it was May 5th to May 7th. It felt like it was January 5th to January 7th. What are we doing? Mother Nature, why? Although I don't really blame Mother Nature. I blame this on Lexington because Lexington just flat out stinks. And every time anybody has ever gone to Lexington, it has been miserable weather. I don't know how anybody lives there. The, the weather stinks. There's nothing to do. I, I mean, you, you're not even in the South anymore, really. I mean, you, you're kind of just on the edge of being in the South. I consider Lexington the South, but you, you go over to Louisville, and I don't really consider Louisville the South, which is funny because they're 45 minutes apart. But it, it was just absolutely Kentucky was miserable. a Kentucky was a part of the Union, so it's 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 North, right? Uh, I, I guess that is one way to look at it. Uh, yeah. we, we can bring that back into conversation, but uh, the the weather stunk. My hotel stunk. I'm I'm sorry, Mr. Hubs. I'm never trying to save you money ever again. I, I mean, I, I I appreciate you being more than willing to to commit resources for VolQuest to go cover baseball. I'm never trying to save you money on a hotel again. I was miserable in my hotel room. The weather stunk. The Vols stunk. And how about this? I was risking my life while I was there. Kane, did did you know this? I did not. Not not simply because I was in Lexington, Kentucky. That That is a thing. I, I did risk my life in that sense. But I also risked my life because while I was in town, Kentucky running back Chris Rodriguez decided to go drunk driving. I mean, yep. he, he could have hit me. I was risking my life covering this baseball team, watching them lose, risking my life. And I was miserable the entire time. Kentucky actually adopted uh, neutrality, so they they fought on both sides. So in case anybody was wondering, but uh, nonetheless, every single time I've been to Lexington, it has been freezing cold. So it's kind of shocking that it was it was pretty. I mean, the weather was gross. Of course, it rained all weekend. I get all that, but I didn't. I I don't think anybody saw it being you know chilly. Um, it was so not chilly. It was cold. It was windy. <laughs> It was in the, the wind makes everything worse. I mean, the wind drops yes. things down by 10 or 15 every single time. That's what made it worse. The temperature was mid fifties. So temperature yeah. wise, it wasn't terrible, but the rain, no sun and the wind made it miserable. I got a little sunburn this weekend. If it helps <laughs> weird. Some, somehow you're still as white as Justin Powell. I, I, I don't know how that's happening. If, if ain't you nobody, beach, ain't nobody that white. Uh, have you ever seen Ryan Shumpert? I have. Big fan. A lot, lot, uh, lot of our listeners big fan as well. Uh, as, as am I. Ryan Shumpert is as white as Justin Powell. Yeah, he is a white guy. Big time and, white. And, and nobody will see this, but 
uh, the light shining off of your face right now is is pretty white as well. Well, my setup here, I've got like 17 monitors, and so I've got this big – wait for it. Yeah, there we go. I mean, I've got nothing but light just hitting me, so I look whiter than I am, but no, I'm a – I'm a I'm a I'm a good looking bronze, good looking. I mean, always, but now I'm just bronze. So I'm a, you know, it's that it's always. I'm not like super burnt, but I got a little red. But it's always that first like semi burn of the year, and then after that, it just turns to tan. Get that out of the way early here in the summer, and we're ready to roll. All right. On that note, we are moving on. Uh, all those things that I just mentioned about how crappy Lexington is. It affected the balls, Caner, because Tennessee was not themselves this weekend whatsoever. They lose in 13 innings on Friday night, a.k.a. Thursday night, a.k.a. game one. Uh, Tennessee could not buy a hit over the course of that baseball game. They return on Friday for game two, and they could no longer buy a hit or continue to no longer be able to buy a hit. That game gets suspended in the top of the eighth inning. Tennessee losing uh, four to two, suspended because of weather. You come back on Saturday, the final day in Lexington. The game is picked back up at 2 p.m. Eastern. Tennessee is not able to rally. Tennessee loses five to two, lose the series. First series loss of the season. First road loss for Tennessee since 2019 against Arkansas. But it is able to bounce back in a seven-inning game three. Tennessee wins seven to two thanks to a big hit from Luke Lipsius, thanks to a three-run home run from Jordan Beck. They avoid being swept since that same series against Arkansas. That 2019 series against Arkansas was the last time Tennessee was swept, also the last SEC road series loss for Tennessee, and um, that is now this past weekend's Kentucky series. But at least Tennessee avoids being swept all in all, uh, Kaner, the, we'll, we'll obviously go a little more in-depth, but just general thoughts. Uh, the pitching staff was more than good enough to win this weekend, and until the last couple of innings of Game 3, the offense is the reason why Tennessee lost 2-3, of three, especially those first two games. The offense just it, – it was miserable. There's no other way to put it. Yeah, uh, yeah, first and foremost, just general thoughts. Um, losing a series is not the end of the world. Again, we've talked about it all season long here on this podcast and, you know, on radio hits we do and talking on the different shows and everything. It's just it's it's baseball, right? You lose series. The fact that it took Tennessee this long to lose a baseball series is so impressive right now. What makes it a little bit of a bummer? And, you know, you you talked about this on my podcast yesterday. Um, everybody's got podcasts. Uh it's just like Kentucky sucks. Kentucky sucks. And that's what makes it just kind of a just kind of a real bummer, right? But again, it's baseball. Like that happens. So at the end of the day, it's nothing to worry about. Respond the right way. You playing a good Georgia team this weekend. Then you got Mississippi State. Then then you're off to Hoover. So and really respond well tomorrow against Bellarmine. But um, you know, nonetheless, it is what it is, right? In fact, that Tennessee is just now losing a series is is pretty incredible. I thought the bullpen was just marvelous and it's no surprise Tennessee's had good bullpen play all year long I mean kind of you know Burns Tidwell goes four innings three innings respectively and then Beam goes four innings I mean you know these starters that pitch into the sixth seventh eighth innings like they have a lot of the times you know so far this season I know Saturday's a little bit different Tidwell's not always stretched the way out and of course you had to get Blake uh, you had to get Chase Dolander in there who I thought was really really good but the bullpen was marvelous just combining for four runs off 10 hits in games one and two of this series, that's just not a winning formula. That's not Tennessee winning baseball. And, you know, that's completely opposite of what Tennessee's been all season long. So it is what it is. It happens. Uh, but good on Tennessee for salvaging the series on on Saturday and being able to avoid that sweep and, and break it out in a big way with that 7-2 to, seven to two win. Two Tennessee players hit over 250 on the weekend. Two, two. Jarrell Ortega hit three thirty-three. Jarrell was was really good this weekend at the plate, and then Seth Stevenson of all people was the other Vol who hit over two fifty. Seth Stevenson hit two eighty-six. Six of Tennessee's nine re regular starters came hit two thirty or worse. Two thirty or yeah. worse, and six of them did so. Cortland Lawson hit two twenty-two. 
he was the only one of those six to hit better t- than 200. Uh, but Trey Lipscomb, 182 for the weekend. Luke Lipsius, 167 for the weekend. Christian Moore, 143 for the weekend. Evan Russell, he hit 100 for the weekend. Jordan Beck, 083 for the weekend. Jordan Beck had one hit, and it was a big hit uh, in the top of the sixth inning. No, top of the seventh inning uh, in the series finale, which was essentially the, the, the top of the ninth inning because they were playing a seven-inning game. Uh, added key insurance runs. There's no doubt about it, but uh, his only hit came when Tennessee was winning and, and it was in his last at bat of the weekend. So yes, big hit for Jordan Beck, but uh, Tennessee simply Eric is not going to win games when Eric or not Eric. I mean, you would not get a hit, but uh, when Jordan Beck only gets one hit, when Trey Lipscomb hits 182, when Luke Lipsius hits 167, Evan Russell hits 100. They're, they're just simply not going to win games when the middle of the lineup is struggling that much, regardless of how the pitching staff is pitching, which we saw this weekend. Mind you, I led my little league in home runs two years in a row way back in the day. But now your your point Don't believe you. Your point is intact. We better believe it. Go ask my mom. Uh, I mean, you know, you're not going to win. You're not going to win against Kentucky. You're not going to win against Arkansas. You're not going to win against Virginia. You're going to win against any team. You know, going going to bat like that. And Hey, it was a serious thing, right? I mean, it's a short sample size. You know, you're throwing out all these averages, but it kind of is what it is. Now, Thursday night's game was marathon. I mean, you got, you know, some guys got, I think Ortega had seven ABs in that game, right? Because it went so long. Three but, for seven. Yeah. Um, it, it, and that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good stat line. If, if we're being complete, especially for this weekend. Right. Um, but it's just, it's just you're not. That's not. That's not winning formula. You're not going to beat teams like that. And again, it'd be it'd be a, an issue if Tennessee ever now and again, you know, did this for two weekends in a row or did this a couple times this year. This is the. I mean, granted, they haven't been always always just hitting the lights out of the baseball. But I mean, this is the first time this has happened all season long. And so, as long as you respond well, which Tennessee has always responded to the adversity that's been hit all season long, then I think you're going to be okay. But I mean, again, it was just a. It was just a dreadful three days um you know and, and credit kentucky's pitching kentucky's pitching got good got really really good efforts uh, out of its bullpen especially in game one uh you know really good effort uh from its bullpen in game two as well and then you know the the not a very good start for well it was a decent start but not the best on sunday for kentucky but i, I think they had a lot to do with it but more so anything i think tennessee was just not themselves this past weekend and didn't didn't find the results that they normally have at the plate yeah, and Kentucky, the starting pitching Sunday that wasn't bad but wasn't great. I mean, it, it's their own doing because uh, they decided to start Sean Harney for game three after they used him the final two innings of game two 40 minutes earlier. And, I mean, it, it's not a, a crazy thing. Uh, Sean Harney was scheduled to pitch the series finale going into the weekend. And then when the game got suspended and had to be picked back up on uh, Saturday before they could finish game three, Kentucky made the decision, hey, let, let's go ahead and throw Harney. He's one of our better guys. Let him pick up this series win over the number one team in the country. We'll, we'll see how many pitches he throws. If it's manageable, then he can go ahead and start the series finale, even if there is a, a 40 to 45 minute uh, gap in between. And, and I, I thought that he had less command from finishing game two to starting game three. I I thought it was pretty noticeable. His stat line still looks good. I mean, he still went on to pitch four innings in the series finale, only gave up one walk, but did give up five hits, and and Tennessee just really did not take advantage of it. But even in that first inning, uh, you you get, I believe it was Jordan Beck on base maybe in in that first inning. Uh, No, Jarrell Ortega. Jarrell Ortega singled, and then Drew Gilbert hit the RBI double off the wall in center field. So Tennessee got him early in that game and then kind of cooled off until the fifth inning when Cortland Lawson hit a very key home run. At the time, it gave Tennessee a two-to-one lead. Uh, He hit that home run into the Tennessee bullpen uh, in the midst of a a tie game. So I I don't blame Kentucky for for throwing out Sean Harney uh, kind of back-to-back there. You absolutely go for the series win. Uh, especially when it's the number one team of the country, you're, you're trying to make Hoover. You're trying to get into the NCAA tournament by a miracle. You, you've got to do things. A pitcher, though. Yes, it is. But Kentucky accomplished its goal. 
game three does not matter to Kentucky if you win the series. It, it just it it doesn't. They they are no. perfectly happy with taking two out of three, and and that's why they made the decision that they made. And quite frankly, I, I don't blame them for that. But Eric, not only did Tennessee struggle to get hits in the first two games, they also struggled to get uh, impactful hits. Uh, they, they had five hits in, in the first game. They had five hits the second game. But it took 17 innings for Tennessee to get its first extra base hit. It didn't come until the fourth inning of game two when Jarrell Ortega hits a double and then Trey Lipscomb hits a double back-to-back. Uh, that was the first time Tennessee had extra base hits the entire weekend. It can't take 17 innings. I mean, it, it's as simple as that. Sure, it's just a game and a half, but you play 13 innings on Thursday night, and then it takes you until the fourth inning on Friday night in game two for you to have an extra base hit. That just – it can't happen. You, you have to have in, impactful hits, and it, it's a one-time incident, uh, a one-off, but – it's just very uncharacteristic of this baseball team to go 17 innings without an extra base hit. So that will, that was an additional issue. Not only were you struggling to get on base, yeah. but when you did get a hit, they were just kind of singles. And you, you're not going to beat teams when you're just hitting singles. Yeah, just awful. And, I mean, again, these these numbers are just so uncharacteristic of, of Tennessee baseball. And you did a nice job of compiling uh, you know, in one little, little spots and both of your write-ups, your four takes after each game. Game one, Tennessee, 5 of 42 at the plates, left 16 men on, 1 of 14 with two outs, 3 of 22 with runners on base, 1 of 10 with runners in scoring position, 0 of 4 with the bases loaded. In game two, 5 for 32 uh, on the night, 1 for 10 with two outs, 3 of 14 with runners on, and 4 of 14 in advancement opportunities. I mean, again, that's just th th those are numbers that, you know, Tennessee pitching has limited opposing hitters to, you know, that, 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 that that's typically the lines we're reading off in terms of Tennessee pitching, not Tennessee's hitters at the plate. Um, it just took, uh, it just took a while to get going. Really. It, it took, as you said, 17 endings for an extra base hit. And, you know, thankfully it, it kind of broke through and, and, you know, sung a different tune there in game three, but even in game three, I mean, you scored, you, you, you attacked uh, three in the seventh, which is nice, but you had two in the sixth, you have one in the one in the first, one in the fifth. I mean, usually Tennessee, it's, it's scoring runs in bunches, right? You'll get, and it's scoring runs early a lot of the times, too. It's getting three in the first, three in the third, uh, sometimes putting up a four or five spot. That's just, again, it just was not the, the story for Tennessee this weekend. It was kind of opposite of what Tennessee normally. Um, has been, uh, which is just kind of weird to see, right? I mean, we talk about how good Tennessee is, and we watch this team all season long, and for them to completely not be themselves for the first time all year long, it, it kind of obviously you know they're human, but it's like I, I didn't even know Tennessee was kind of capable of doing this for this stretch of a of a series like it kind of did in Lexington. Now it brings into question how concerned are we going forward? Why did game one and game two, and really I say the whole weekend because Tennessee didn't really start hitting the ball like we had seen this season until the final two innings of the weekend. I mean, Luke Lipsius has his go-ahead two-run single in the sixth inning, and then Jordan Beck hits the three-run home run in the seventh inning. Those were the last two innings, half innings of offense for Tennessee on the weekend is when they had their most – uh, impactful hits uh, aside from the Cortland Lawson solo home run, which was the inning before those two. So really the last three innings of the weekend is, is when Tennessee finally got the bats going. So I'm willing to say that for the entire weekend, Tennessee struggled at the plate. There's just simply no question about it. And, and it's just really frustrating because Kentucky entered the weekend as a team that gives up a ton of walks they were one of the worst teams in the SEC at walks allowed. Third most walks allowed on the weekend or on the season during conference play entering the weekend. They had given up 98 walks, which is the third most walks allowed. They had hit the second most hit batters, uh, 28 of them. And, and you saw that from the jump. You absolutely saw that from the jump when – 
uh, the starter in game one for Kentucky comes out and he walks six guys right off the bat. Ryan Hagnow, who is a Knoxville native, went to Farragut. Uh, he walks six, barely went to school with his brother. Oh, uh, did you? I did. Yep. He's uh he's good people. Yeah, we drank a few beers together. Uh, must not be too good people if he's drinking beers with you. Uh, yeah. But uh, his brother gave up six walks and 2.1 innings of work, didn't make it out of the third inning, and you felt like, okay, yep, you, you can see why Kentucky isn't a good team on paper. Tennessee's having all these chances to score, and you're thinking, okay, Tennessee's going to run away with this, and then they go on to strand the bases loaded in the first three innings. Each of the first three innings, they stranded the bases loaded, which is remarkable. And they only got two runs off of having the bases loaded in each of the three innings. Kentucky brings in a new pitcher who is pounding the strike zone. And I think in a weird way, going from a guy who could not command the strike zone to a guy who was just filling up the strike zone, I think it threw Tennessee off on top of some extra circumstances that you don't typically see. And, and I'll touch on those in a minute. but. Eric, it just really felt like Tennessee wasted that opportunity to put the nail in Kentucky's coffin early. It allowed them to hang around. It allowed them to to find some hope. Chase Burns then gives up two solo home runs in the fourth inning. And it it just goes from Tennessee going down one, two, three in order, Kentucky going down one, two, three in order for the next eight innings as that game went into the 13th inning. And Tennessee ultimately gave Kentucky too many chances to, to win a game. They, they gave them hope, allowed them to stick around, and uh, Kentucky stuck it to them. Yeah, I mean, it set the tone for the entire weekend, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, you take a, you only get two runs out of that, um, out of those you know bases-loaded opportunities there in the first three innings. Yet Kentucky was able to tie that, as you mentioned, in the bottom of the fourth inning, and then that's all she wrote for quite some time, right? I mean, it set the tone for what ended up being a marathon game on Thursday nights. Um, kind of the bats being slow to the plate again in in Friday's contest before before it was finally finished on Saturday, and I just think that that was kind of a synopsis of kind of what this was. All those missed opportunities, uh, you know, the the ball not finding green gas grass, not taking advantage of putting yourself in good situation. Again, set the tone for the weekend. That just kind of was what Tennessee was at the plate all weekend long, and it's unfortunate because, again, I mean, it's not like Tennessee. You know, you you play to win every single game. For sure. But it's not like Tennessee absolutely needed this weekend to like prove something or to, you know, clinch a spot in Hoover, which it's already has or, you know, whatever the case may be. But you don't want to lose a series ever. And you just don't want to lose a series to Kentucky again because it's not a good baseball team. But it just kind of was what it was. Um, I just thought the inability to, to push through there in the first couple innings on Thursday was kind of the reason why Tennessee struggled all weekend long. And, you know, the weather contributed to that, of course, the extra inning games and, you know, the lack of getting quality. I'm not saying quality starts, but the lack of getting your guys deeper into ball games for sure. Um, you have more insurance. You feel better on the mound, and who knows how much longer you could have went. Uh, some of those early battles Chase Burns went through and, you know, Tidwell went through. Maybe you'll leave them out there for another inning because you have more runs to your aid. Uh, you weren't able to take advantage of that on Thursday, not for sure. And that begs the question of why did what happened happen? Why did why did Tennessee struggle for pretty much the entirety of the weekend? And I I think it's you know 70, 60, if you want to go a little lower, circumstances and and 30 percent uh wrongdoing. Uh, I guess you could say what, what my point is is that. Tennessee deserves blame, and I'm not trying to make excuses for them with what I'm what I am about to say. Uh, Tennessee, they have to handle the circumstances better. They do. Kentucky handled the circumstances better than Tennessee did. Uh, Tennessee took Kentucky lightly. They they did. Everybody was kind of picking at me, and I know everybody was just joking for the most part, but. Uh, I, I said that it would be disappointing if Tennessee did not sweep Kentucky. And I absolutely meant that because Kentucky is a bad team. Statistically, they had the worst defense in the SEC entering the weekend. And, and of course, Tennessee, look, they then make unbelievable play after unbelievable play all weekend long. Uh, but on paper, statistically, they had the worst defense 
in the league. Uh, I just mentioned the pitching numbers. Uh, they give up a lot of walks. They hit a lot of batters. Now, uh, they do have a middle-of-the-road pitching staff because although they hit a lot of batters and, and walk a lot of batters, the, their batting average, opponent batting average, was sixth in the SEC, and their ERA was sixth in the or yeah, ERA was sixth in the SEC. So uh, just kind of middle of the road there. They also had the fourth most strikeouts, uh, third fewest home runs allowed. Now I believe that's the ballpark. Uh, fourth fewest hits allowed. So there were some positive stats about the pitching staff. But uh, when it's the pitching staff that walks a, a lot of guys and hits a lot of batters. Not very good in my book, quite frankly. And then, and then the hitting statistics entering the weekend were just atrocious. Sixth most strikeouts, 11th in batting average, 12th in hits, 13th in on-base percentage, 13th in RBIs, 13th in total bases, last in slugging percentage, last in home runs, last in run scores, last in walks. I mean, it is a bad offense, and they played bad this weekend. It's not like Kentucky just played so well all weekend long. Tennessee was just worse, and they took them lightly. And the only evidence you need to prove that they took them lightly is go listen to Luke Lipsius after the game. And I'm not blaming Luke at all for, for saying this, but he said that this weekend proved that they actually have to try going forward. That's what he said. That tells you all you need to know about the mindset entering the weekend. So I do blame Tennessee for that. I also blame Tennessee for. Uh, not adjusting their approach at the plate. That is a ballpark where you can't sit back and, and wait for the home run. It, it It is modeled after TD Ameritrade Park, the, the park in Omaha that is not very hitter-friendly. The Kentucky SID was up in the press box discussing about how Kentucky has had to change its recruiting philosophy since they built the new stadium in 2019. The old stadium that Kentucky had was very similar to Lindsey Nelson Stadium in the sense that it was very hitter-friendly. And this stadium, during the day, and especially at night, the ball does not carry. And for 13 innings on Thursday night, Tennessee sat back and tried to outpower Kentucky, and you can't do that in college at that stadium. At some point in that game, you needed to make a, a mental adjustment at the plate, make a, a change to your approach and Tennessee did not do that. So I know that's a long winded way of, of blaming Tennessee, but Eric, here's why I am not concerned because I think the circumstances mattered more that Tennessee had to deal with than everything I just discussed for just two and a half, three games because the weather stunk. It, it was not fun weather to play in. The atmosphere was atrocious, absolutely atrocious. There, there were by far more Tennessee fans in the stadium every single day uh, and anybody who watched on TV could have seen how little people were in attendance. The environment sucked, the weather sucked. And, and then not only that, but I, I do buy into the night games there in Lexington at that stadium. The players and coaches will never say this, but it, it's something that I and you are allowed to discuss because we are just boring podcasters and, and, and bloggers. We're, we're allowed to discuss these things. Go look at Kentucky's numbers during the day and at night. I talked about it on the preview podcast. They are night and day different, pun intended. Uh, they're hitting over 300 during the day, and at night they're hitting like 248 entering the weekend. And I, I do think it's not only because the ball doesn't travel well at night there in Lexington, but it's also because it's darker. It's harder to yeah. see. And, and that was something that I noticed from the press box, and I'm not even playing – of all the stadiums I've been to this year, last year, by far the darkest stadium that Tennessee has played in. And I do think that that was a factor. So th those are some circumstances that Tennessee won't have to deal with moving forward and why I'm not concerned yet. If they come out and do it against Georgia, I'll be concerned. But right now, I'm willing to give Tennessee the benefit of the doubt, give them some grace as this just being a one-off. I mean, you won 40 games, you know, 40 other games this season, right? I mean, coming into the weekend, you have one loss in SEC play. You're a good team, right? Um, I'm glad that Luke said that. I'm glad Luke kind of owned that and everything because I don't care how good you are. I don't care, you know, who you are, what team you're a part of, what area you're playing in. I mean, if you don't come, if you don't come to the yard mentally prepared and ready to roll, especially in SEC play, doesn't matter even what sport it is. I mean, there are teams, Kentucky sucks. I get it. But 
mean, you're playing at this level for a reason. Like they're they're going to get you if you're not mentally prepared and ready to roll. And so, as good as Tennessee is, and, and I I don't think that this is a a reflection on coaching because I think Tony and Frank and and Josh Elander and all those guys do a great job of getting them amped up and ready to go for the most part. But a lot of times you got to have leadership in that dugout, right? And it comes from maybe a six-year guy like Luke that's saying, all right, you got Kentucky. It's kind of a trap series before heading into a big-time series with Georgia the weekend after. Stay focused, stay sharp, stay disciplined at the plate and all that. And quite frankly, Tennessee wasn't. So, And with baseball, too, it's such a long year, and you're, you've been so good and you've been so dominant all year long that it's easy to kind of fall into that trap like, oh, we got to go to Lexington. God, this team sucks. Let's just go get three dubs and come home. I get all that. But I stand by what you said because I said it on the Monday night chat as well last week. Tennessee should win every single game this series, right? And it is disappointing Tennessee didn't sweep. Having said all that, it doesn't matter. I mean, it truly doesn't matter. Tennessee is still the best team in the country, in my opinion. Tennessee is still the most dangerous team in the country, in my opinion. Tennessee is still the betting on favorite to win the College World Series. Doesn't mean it will. But my point remains that Tennessee's still good. Tennessee will be fine. How do you respond? Competition is going to get better this weekend against Georgia. We know that. But I think Tennessee will come with a renewed mindset as well. I think Tennessee will certainly take Georgia a lot more seriously than it did Kentucky, as it should. Um, It's baseball. We say it a million times. It's humbling. It is what it is. It's baseball. Responded on Sunday the right way. I'm not worried whatsoever about Tennessee moving forward. But I stand by you. I do think it's a disappointment. Now, it doesn't change anything. It's not like Tennessee season's a failure. It's not. Um, but it is disappointing. I mean, it truly is because Kentucky is that bad. I mean, Tennessee just put Kentucky in Hoover, most likely, right? Um, and, and that stinks, right? You, you don't want that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. How do you respond? How do you play against Georgia and Mississippi State to kind of uh, finish out this regular season before heading to Hoover? All right, Eric. So on that note, Discussing Tennessee struggles this weekend, looking at it from why Tennessee struggled, and we both feel like there is a mixture of uh, self-inflicted wounds, obviously. Uh, but as I did say, I-, I do think it was more circumstances than self-inflicted wounds. And really why I believe that is because of the, the long track record that Tennessee has this season. It was the third to last weekend of the regular season, and they finally struggled. So I think there's a long track record that backs me up. We'll see how they perform against Georgia. Maybe it is something to be concerned about in, in terms of Tennessee maybe not playing its best uh, going into the, the time of the year that matters most. Hopefully we won't have to continue to have that conversation. I, I think we'll look back and just kind of see this weekend as a one-off. What is your confidence level on a scale of 1 to 10 – that in fact this weekend was a one-off. Oh, uh, I, I guess like an eight or a nine, meaning it's it's not a big deal. Uh, it's just, just kind of a blimp in the radar. Yeah, I mean, I I'm confident Tennessee will be just fine. I mean, this isn't. I mean, you know, we we can nitpick this series like we are, you know, until we're both you know blue in the face. But it just is what it is. They they did not bring it. They did not. Uh, they they didn't have it this weekend. Conditions, elements, mindset, all that and more. This team is much better, obviously, as you mentioned, the track record than, than what they've shown this weekend. So my confidence level is still fine in this team, still high. Um, and I'm sure you're about to get into it. I mean, there's there's something to be said about Blake Tidwell, maybe, uh, that we need to be paying attention to. But, you know, outside of that, I think everything's everything's fine. Cannon Sewell, but uh, this team has not I, – I still believe this team is going to win every single time it takes the field uh, to answer your question. <laughs> yes, and that was more about the offense uh, and – uh, it sounds like you are still pretty confident. I, I'm confident in them as well. I yeah, I, I think they'll be fine moving forward. I, I would be surprised if not. But hey, this this weekend will be a good test for them. Georgia has some big time pitchers, and um, it, again, it, it'll test them. So we'll, we'll see how they perform this weekend and reevaluate that situation. I'm glad that you mentioned Blake Tidwell and Camden Sewell because that's the second to last conversation we need to have before we get out of here. I know we've mentioned some individual performances in passing already on this podcast, but I haven't really focused on the pitching specifically. I I think in general, the pitching was good over the weekend. Uh, As a pitching staff, I thought they were really good, and they did enough to win. And really the only conversation to have is the same conversation that we've been having for weeks now, and that's who's going to be the last – or the, the man left out of, of the weekend rotation. And it feels, Eric, like this is finally the weekend 
that a true decision will have to be made. Blade Tidwell, he, he's back. Chase Dolander, he's back. Obviously, Chase Burns and Drew Beam, they've been able to uh, be perfectly fine from a health standpoint. I, I want to ask you about this question about Chase Dolander individually, and then we'll attack that question that we've been talking about for months now, it seems. True or fiction, or true or false, Chase Dolander is the best pitcher on this pitching staff. Oh, right now, um, mm-hmm. true. You know, I mean, all these guys have unlimited potential. If you're saying 10 years down the line, I'll probably say Burns. But right now, I would definitely say true. It's it's Chase Dolander. Yes, I, I or, agree. Or fact, <laughs> fact, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I kind of botched the question there, which is no surprise to you or anybody else. But uh, <laughs> I agree. I, I, I think Chase Dolander, I, I, I think all guys healthy. I think he's the best pitcher on the staff uh, just because of some experience and – he has more pitches that he can use consistently more effective than Blake Tidwell. I, I think that is very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think he's the best arm on the staff. And, and as the postseason gets here, we'll, we'll have the conversation of how you align the rotation for a regional weekend. Like, who do you throw game one? Uh, do you go with the guy like a Drew Beam or Chase Burns that – Maybe you're not putting your absolute best foot forward because, in my opinion, if you had to throw out your best guy game one, it'd be Chase Dolander. No question about it, in my opinion. But obviously, because it's double elimination, you can kind of toy with it a little bit. So do do you risk throwing out a Drew Beam game one? Not that I don't think Drew Beam wouldn't pitch well, but he's inexperienced and so on and so forth. Uh, do you pitch a Drew Beam game one? And, and then that way, if you do get into an elimination game, whether you need to win to avoid being eliminated or you're trying to eliminate somebody else, then you have Chase Dolander in that game. We'll, we'll have that conversation down the road, obviously. Uh, but I, I do think it's setting up for a fascinating conversation this upcoming weekend, as we have alluded to for several weeks now. And, and as I just mentioned, it feels like this is the weekend that a a temporary because there's only two regular season weekends left, a temporary decision is going to have to be made. And uh, Chase Dolander, he's going to start. I don't know when this weekend. I would assume it's Saturday. Tony Vitello pretty much said so after the game that he's going to be in the starting rotation. So it's going to come down to Blake Tidwell, Drew Beam, Chase Burns. And, Eric, I don't know what the answer is. I I know there's several different conversations to be had about each one. I don't think there's a clear-cut answer. Yeah, I mean, you can go a number of different ways. And again, it's 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 an embarrassment of riches. This is a great problem to have. And we've been talking about this all year long. But uh, now it's kind of like putting, you know, foot to the to, to the pedal here and trying to figure it out. Um, neither one of us are Frank Anderson, Tony Vitello. <laughs> we don't have the answers. But whichever way you spin it, I, I think it is important. I, I feel confident in saying this, and I think you would as well. All four of these guys are going to pitch the next two weekends. All four of these guys are going to get work. Um you know, this weekend it kind of works out again. Blade Tidwell is continuing to get stretched out. Dolander, uh, you know, coming back off injury and all that. And so you kind of use that as a piggyback. Will it be a true piggyback type situation the last two weeks, regardless of whatever order it is uh, between the four guys? I, I don't know. But all four of these guys are going to get some work. You know, just for me, I, you know, Blade Tidwell might be the best one, you know, 10 years down the line. I just said that Chase Burns comment. But Blade Tidwell's first-round talent. <laughs> so, but But right now, I would go in terms of the, the quote-unquote starter moving forward. you got to go with the hot hands right now. Right now, I think he's the one that would go to the pin. Um, and, and that's, again, he's still first-round talent. He's still a fantastic pitcher, has a bright future. Uh, that's kind of how I would do it right now. But uh, just making sure all these guys, like we've been talking about all year, are healthy, are stretched out, are ready to roll for postseason. That's the most important thing the next two weekends on top of getting some more wins. And, and to your point, too, about you know a later discussion in the weeks to come, you know, we see it in Major League Baseball all the time. Last year, you know, in the playoffs and game one of the World Series, Charlie Morton got the ball for the Braves. Uh, you know, Max Fried's the ace for, for the Braves, right? But they didn't throw Max Fried in game one because you're setting it up for a potential elimination game or something down the line to where you got your best guy ready to roll. I don't know what that looks like right now for Tennessee, and we don't have to worry about that right now. But it is, again, interesting because I feel confident in all of those guys to go out on a, you know, quote-unquote, first game on a Wednesday in Hoover or – Friday night and the super regional or whatever. Um, I think all these guys would perform just fine. But right now, if I'm asking who would come out of the bullpen, I would say Blake Tidwell. And that's just, it's a crazy thing to even say, but that's kind of how I would go with it right now. 
First off, Kyle Wright is the ace of the Atlanta Braves <laughs> pitching staff. Hey, he is pitching phenomenally this year. Uh, all-star him, Major League Baseball. Thank you very much. Shout out to K-Dub. Uh, but aside from the phenom that Kyle Wright is, I agree with everything you were saying about Blake Tidwell, but that is not the the method of operation I would use because I believe that if Tennessee were to win the national championship, it's gonna be behalf it's gonna have to be because Blake Tidwell pitched to his potential. It has to. Uh, so I, I think, and you were listing kind of those words and phrases. Uh, in terms of what the staff needs to be as you go into the postseason and have them ready. The, the word for me is rested. And Drew Beam, Chase Burns, allow them to be rested going into Hoover, going into regional weekend. And that doesn't mean completely giving them the weekend off. It means doing what you did with Chase Burns this past weekend where he was only at 67 pitches and, and sure he wasn't pitching to his complete potential he was having a solid outing but he could have pitched more but he was on short rest end of the season you want to prolong his effectiveness this season so you only allow him to throw 67 pitches so i i don't know who should be the guy coming out of the bullpen again i I don't think there's an obvious answer but i do know two things chase dolander is the best pitcher on this pitching staff he needs to be one of your starters, wherever you want to put him. I, I don't care where. He needs to be a starter, and he will be a starter. Tony Vitello said that. B, Blake Tidwell, like I just mentioned, if Tennessee is going to win the national championship, it's going to be because Blade teams up with Chase Dolander and helps lead this pitching staff to a national championship. So he has no doubt about it looked uh, the roughest out of the four the last two weeks. And kind of weird, Kane. It was kind of flipped. It was reversed this past weekend uh, against Auburn at home. His command issues resulted in walks this weekend. He limited the walks, didn't have near as many walks. I believe it was four that he had against Auburn. He didn't have a single walk this past weekend, mm-hmm. but he still struggled with his command. Just the results were different. Gave up three runs on four hits, did have four strikeouts uh, and no walks, as I mentioned, but, but here's, how you can tell the difference of where Blake Tidwell is right now and, and where Chase Dolander is right now. Chase Dolander threw four innings, threw 52 pitches, Eric. 44 of Dolander's 52 pitches were strikes. He only threw eight pitches that were balls. Blake yeah. Tidwell only threw five more pitches and threw four less strikes. Four or uh, 17 of Tidwell's pitches were balls. Eight of Dolander's were ball so uh that that's the difference in the two and i think part of it is blade knocking off some rust still again the injury is not what's bothering him he's just still trying to work up to be completely off the leash not from a health standpoint but just in terms of building that arm up to be able to throw 80 90 100 pitches in a game and i think that may be something that people are forgetting when examining the situation is like hey blade's knocking off some rust I, i think it's more him knocking off rust than him continuing to struggle, I guess you could say. So I agree with everything you said. I just think the the mindset needs to be have Blake Tidwell ready to be a starter as best as he can be come postseason. Yeah, and I mean, I think that regardless of if Tennessee is going to reach his potential, like you said, Blake Tidwell is going to be a big part of that. Um, and, and I do believe it will be in a starting role uh, for sure. I'm just saying like in terms of – I mean, it don't matter. He's going to get his – you know, three, four minimum, uh, you know, three, four innings minimum, regardless the next two weekends, whether that's in a starting role, whether that's coming out of the bullpen, he's going to get his work because again, they're going to have all these guys ready to roll. Um, and uh, he's just so much talent as well. And, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, still his season high is still what 72 pitches at Florida a couple weeks ago. Yes. So because he's uh, not looked good since. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. And who knows, maybe he would have, he would have went on. And I mean, I, I don't think Tony would have, you know, if he was pitching, you know, lights out through six innings and the pitch count was where it was, he probably continued sending him out there knowing that Dolander needs to get his work in, but uh, he just didn't have it on, on Saturday. So, um, again, it's it's going to be interesting the way they kind of move these checkers. And, and I like what you said, too, about, like, Chase Burns. That's a perfect example on a Friday night or on a Thursday night. Um, he was not his best, 
he was not horrible, but he certainly won his best. Pitch count's a little high up there. Take him out, rest him a little bit. Instead of throwing 90 pitches, you're throwing 67. You know, what if he does that again one of the next two weekends? I mean, that's saving him, you know, quite a few pitches heading into postseason where Tennessee's going to want to rely on him to go as long as he can go. So four starting pitchers, three games each weekend. You can rest some arms. You can save some innings. And, of course, the way that bullpen's pitching right now for Tennessee, regardless of when you hand the ball to the bullpen, to the true bullpen guys, you feel good about, you know, where you are. And I know I continue to say this, Eric, but the more I have these conversations, the more we have it on this podcast, the more I'm asked about it in radio interviews, you ask me about it uh, on your podcast, just the more that I continue to think about it, the more I strongly believe that this conversation is – an overreaction, if that's the right word to use, or I, it's just not going to matter at the end of the day. You you said something perfectly that that really sums it up is that Blake Tidwell he's going to get his work no matter what it looks like, whether it's starting, whether it's pitching. You you summed it up perfectly by saying that, but it it doesn't just apply to Blake Tidwell. It applies to Chase Dolander, as you saw this weekend. It's going to apply to Drew Beam if Drew Beam is pulled from the starting rotation, uh, and. It applies to Chase Burns if he were the one to come out of the starting rotation. All four, no matter what it looks like the next two weekends against Georgia, against Mississippi State, all four are probably at minimum going to throw 60 pitches, depending on circumstances is why I worded it that way. Um, But they're all going to get their work in. And what is most important is having them rested and pitching at their best not even really when, when Hoover begins, because if you don't win the SEC tournament, so be it. You, you're still going to win the SEC regular season title. That's more impressive, in my opinion, anyways. They've got to be pitching at their best and rested first weekend of the NCAA tournament, which, which is the weekend after Hoover. So I, I just, the more I have this conversation, the more emphatic I am that this conversation is being blown out of proportion because all four are going to be starters in the postseason. Now, yeah. It's funny to say that because Super Regional Weekend, if they make it, you are going to have to <laughs> bring somebody out of the bullpen. And, Eric, I guess to, to, to be a true podcaster, you have to say something hot take-ish. You have to feel strongly about something. Although I've said all that, I will say I do believe that all four pitchers pitching at their absolute best, all four pitching at their absolute best, I think Beam is the odd man out. I think all at their best, Burns, Dolander, Tidwell are the best three, and, and that's because of Drew Beam being a freshman, back-to-back years, not pitching in high school, just kind of all those circumstances. So uh, there, there's my podcaster uh, hot take for you, if, if you want to call it that. But, Eric, end of the day, it's all being blown out of proportion. They're all going to get their work the last two weekends. Yep, I would agree for sure. And again, even further into that conversation, you'd have to get into the whole, what, you really going to move Beam? And he's been great on that third start every single week. And it's like, why on earth would you change it, right? I agree completely. All four of of those guys at their absolute best, it's a no-brainer. I mean, Beam is clearly number four in that rotation. But again, that's not a bad number four option, especially the way he's been pitching this year. So um, this is why Tennessee... It's a betting favorite. This is why Tennessee's been so good so far this year is you build a program on arms and the bullpen's been incredible and they're not getting enough praise. But gosh, just having just this conversation week in and week out, all these options. Um, it's why Tennessee's so good. Major reason why Tennessee's so good. Yes, as we continue to say week after week. Yep. And don't get it twisted. I love Drew Beam. Absolutely mm-hmm. love Drew Beam. He had an impressive performance this past weekend against Kentucky, I said it off the top, like, hey, he was better than Tidwell and Burns this weekend. And he did it under the most pressure because Tennessee was on the verge of being swept. So yep. I, I love me some Drew Beam. He is a freshman All-American. He needs to be on one of the All-SEC teams, not just the freshman team, one of the the legitimate All-SEC teams. Uh, he is on his way to being a first-round pick, honestly, and is is going to have two big seasons after this one. So I, I love Drew Beam. I just think Chase Burns, Chase Dolander, Blake Tidwell, when those three are at their best, they, they are just a different type of, of prospect. Uh, some other pitching notes that we do need to mention, Eric. Redmond Walsh, man, talk about the bounce back. Gives up the home run to Bobby Pierce against Auburn. And what Redmond said after the game to, to us is that baseball is baseball. I got baseballed. 
last week against Auburn. I thought I made a good pitch, and I just thought Bobby Pierce made a better swing, and he hit home run. It happens. I didn't change anything. I just tried to stay strong mentally. And what does he does? What 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 does he do, Eric? He comes out and he absolutely shoves against Kentucky this weekend on on Thursday night in Game One. Kept them in the game during that extra inning affair. Three innings. Three hits, no runs allowed, just one walk, tied his career high in strikeouts at six uh, and threw 59 pitches and then came back on Sunday and finished off the win over the weekend. Three innings, no hits, no runs, two walks, two strikeouts, 48 pitches. He was tremendous all weekend long. And I know there are some comments that some who don't cover the team want to make, but uh, when you throw 83 miles an hour, uh, you can go out there with your rubber arm and throw as much as he did this weekend. Redmond Walsh, great bounce back over the weekend. Yeah, he's been here 10 years, too, so I think he knows how to take care of his arm throughout the course of a long season as well. You knew he was going to bounce back. Um, it, again, he, he's just a vet, man. He, he's just a 10-year vet you know, in college right now, and he threw 59 pitches on Thursday, threw another, I think it was 48 on Sunday, uh, threw another 48 on Sunday, and he was – he was incredible. Um, truly was one of the MVPs for Tennessee this weekend. And uh, I recognize the the series was not great, but uh, he was fantastic. And you knew he was going to bounce back. Great to see him bounce back, um, you know, for that one as well. I I just, uh, you know, uh, again, you've got Redmond Walsh. You've got Mark McLaughlin, who I know gave up the gave up the, the, the was game-winning good. run. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he pitched two innings and two-thirds. And then, you know, allowed that allowed the, the game-winning run there. On Thursday night, I, th- I think he's been really, really good out of the bullpen. Uh, obviously, Camden Sewell's been, you know, great. He's been doing what Camden Sewell's done this year, um, and he's going to be fine. Uh, he could have stayed in that game if, if need be. Tony said they thought it was an oblique at first, but then Camden was pointing to something higher than that, something like around his neck or shoulder, or whatever. But uh, said he could have left him in the game to face that last batter if need be, but didn't feel the need to risk it against Kentucky, which is weird because. Somebody on social media told me that Tony doesn't know how to manage pitchers and puts their well-being at risk. Weird, considering Frank Anderson, one of the best pitching coaches in America, professional, college, best pitching coach on the planet. I just can't believe he doesn't know how to manage a pitching staff. It also about sums it up, man, uh, after Tennessee lost, uh, completing that that uh, Friday night game on Thursday or on Saturday, you know, Tony Vitello comes out and he's arguing with the umpires right after that, the end of the ball game, just kind of sums up what Tennessee baseball is and you know, Tony Vitello wanting all the spotlight. So I just, you know, it is what it is, man. The, you got, you got these, got these uh, beat reporters for other teams uh, more concerned about your team whenever their team is currently playing the same time frame on a Saturday, but Hey, I digress. Like, I just don't know how like you could like, just really blame like Tony Vitello, like in that situation, like like he's not the best, like he's not the best uh, college baseball coach, like in in America. Like, do you do you know what I mean? Like Eric Kane, I know what you mean. <laughs> All right, last thing uh, oh. before we get out of here, Tennessee SEC East champs. I can't believe this is the last talking point hey, on the podcast, but you know why it is because as crazy as it sounds, Ben. As yeah, okay, the weekend sucked. I get all that, but as crazy as it sounds, like like Tony uh, Tennessee is. I mean, it's it, it's expected. You've you've been so dominant all year long. I mean, it's been wire to wire, right? And so you know, in the Eastern Championship, when you've gone so long without winning one, it's like okay, let's recognize it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. But you know, this year's just it's kind of just okay, whatever. Let's go to Hoover, try to win the tournament, go into the postseason. So awesome, an accomplishment for Tennessee throughout this season. But coming off a sour weekend, it was like, oh yeah, Tennessee did that. That's cool. Now let's just kind of move on. That that's why it's been the last thing we've mentioned because it should be the expectation with Tony Vitello where he's brought this program and now back to back years for the first time since the mid nineties. Should be the expectation. Should be expected but something that still should be celebrated when it happens because it is so hard to do. And and I think also technically Tennessee won the series finale or won the SEC East over the weekend because Vanderbilt was able to beat Georgia. But although technically that's when they won the East, 
they won the East a long time ago. They won the East when they swept Vanderbilt, when they swept Missouri, when they swept South Carolina, and when they swept Florida. That's when Tennessee won the East, when it swept Ole Miss and handled its business against Alabama and Auburn. Tennessee has won the SEC East and the SEC regular season title, although that's still up in the air. They've won it before now, even though technically they are just now winning it. And the other thing is, I saw some comments about Tennessee backdooring itself into a SEC East championship, which I don't understand that one bit. It's just a coincidence that Vanderbilt beat Georgia to clinch the East for Tennessee. That That is not why Tennessee won the East. Vanderbilt going to Georgia and taking two of three is not why Tennessee won the SEC. It's the 18 oh, other SEC wins you've had on the season. And thank you. Thank you. And it's what I just said, Eric. It's because they swept Vanderbilt in Nashville. It's because they swept Ole Miss. It's because they swept Florida on the road. They swept Missouri at home. They took care of business against Alabama and Auburn. So it's unfortunate that Tennessee won the SEC East on the weekend in which it looked absolutely terrible uh, against Kentucky, but they didn't backdoor their way in to an SEC East championship. Maybe last year they did because they needed Kentucky to beat Vanderbilt the last weekend of the regular season in order to clinch the East. And the only reason Tennessee was even able to, to win the East last year is because Vanderbilt only got to play two games against Alabama because a third was rained out and wasn't rescheduled. So last year, Tennessee backdoored its way into an SEC East championship this year. They did not do so whatsoever. It just happened to fall on the weekend in which they played their poorest. And because of other results, they, they clinched it. And here's the other thing. They won the East with three weeks remaining. That's unheard of. And in this conference, South Carolina is a, a baseball power, not a great team this year, but a baseball, the, the program as a whole is a significant program. Georgia has had quite a bit of success in college baseball. Vanderbilt, you know what Vanderbilt is. Florida has won a national championship recently, people. Tennessee did not backdoor its way into a, uh, an SEC East title, and it's something they should be proud of, even if it's expected, because it is very significant and hard to do, not only in this division, but in this conference. Pretty confident in saying that if it wasn't this last weekend, Tennessee would have taken care of business for the East this upcoming weekend or heaven forbid the last weekend of the season it's gonna happen because again those 18 sec wins you brought into the weekend before you tacked on 19 on saturday so yeah and again i agree with you 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 celebrate you celebrate the the, the accomplishments that lead you to, to your end goal right you enjoy the ride celebrate it tennessee has earned it but there should be the expectation it's not been so far but now with tony botello two straight years Moving forward, maybe it will begin to be that expectation. So um, three weekends to go in the, in the regular season, quite an accomplishment for Tennessee to, to win the East yet again. Not your ultimate goal, but a feather in the cap, something that, that they should be very proud of. It, it's like I told Jason Swain when he asked me essentially that question this morning on, on Josh and Swain, is like, how how should I feel about Tennessee clinching it this weekend? Or how should Tennessee fans feel about clinching the East this weekend? And my response was, well, if Tennessee lost to Vanderbilt in football, but but it still clinched the SEC East that weekend somehow and was still going to Atlanta, how would everybody feel? What, what would they feel, Eric? Excitement. Everybody yeah, would good. be excited. You're going to Atlanta. They'd be pissed off about losing to Vanderbilt, and rightfully so, but – at the end of the day, you still won the East, and you won the East probably because you beat in Alabama or Florida or Georgia or all of those teams along the way. And everybody has the right to be pissed about losing to Vanderbilt in football, but you're still going to Atlanta, and you still won the East and still won a great games, a ton of great games along the way. So, end of the day, you're not making T-shirts, you're not ordering rings, you're not calling it – I know some people are, and that's okay, but it's not – this isn't winning a championship, in my opinion, okay? You got – it's winning a title. It's awesome. Put the year on the banner. If there's a banner there, put the year on the banner. Maybe in Thompson Bowling Arena, East East titles, 2022. Why would we put it in Thompson Bowling? Because that's where a lot of the spring sports banners hang in the Raptors. You never they noticed do? that? Yeah. No. Go look. I you thought got, they were you all got basketball. 
you've got other sports that have banners hanging in Thompson Bowling Arena as well. I've noticed like rowing and like sports like those, but I've never noticed like baseball or softball. Well, I'm just using it as a, I mean, maybe it's not, but like put it on the wall in Lindsey Nelson Stadium, damn gum it. Yeah, put put it on there. Put the year twenty twenty two. But it's not. I mean, you're, again, you're not ordering rings here. So at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal. But celebrate the minor accomplishments on the way to your big goal, which I think Tennessee is gonna gonna be doing just fine. Yes, a- absolutely. That is a great way to put a bow on this podcast, Eric. Another short week, so we will be back with the good people on Wednesday. Uh, and yep. until then, Eric, you have a, a good week, my friend. You too, buddy. I hope your uh, Braves don't lose too many more games. Hey, they're two games under now. That's a lot better than it was this time last week. (laughs) Uh, Can't relate. My team's won 13 out of 15 and are in first place. So, Eric, you have a good week. 2021 World Series champions. Last one y'all won was 09. Okay. And I know at some point I'll get another one because we love to spend money. Your team hates to spend money, and you will never have any joy ever again in your life. But I know I will have joy at some point again in my life. So, hey, my friend. Until then, 2021 champs, baby. I'm just messing. Eric, have a good week, my friend. See you, buddy. We hope everybody else has a great beginning to their week, and we'll be back with you Thursday afternoon.